The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me yet again um, to uh, talk about about only good things, good things and only good things, uh, is fellow Niner Noise contributor, Akshaz Dibadula. Akshaz, uh, how we doing, man? Doing great, Robert. You know, Thanksgiving, great day. Spend time with the family, with friends. Got to watch an uncompetitive football game, which normally I'd be disappointed by, but this time, absolutely thrilled. And then, you know, today, not so great, but, you know, yeah, I only positive vibes from Thursday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we're coming at you a little bit earlier in the week because we we figured, you know, the, the game already, it's, it's, it's Sunday night already, so the game was already like three days ago. Um, so if we had waited to our normal spot that it would have felt really long ago. Um, so try to get to get with you as quickly as possible. Obviously the uh, 49ers extend their winning streak to three games now. Um, so they're now five in a row, three in a row, three in a row. <laughs> this, is a, this is a bit of a streaky team, I guess you could say. Um, 31-13 over their rivals, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Akshaz, I just, I just need, I, I know I said this to you earlier in our, uh, Niner Noise Slack channel, but man, I just missed the score by that much. Um, I think I said 31, 16, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so pretty close for me. Uh, I knew once they got to 13, that there was no way they were going to get that the Seahawks were going to get to 16 because even Pete Carroll was not going to kick a random field goal late in the game uh, unless we got like a Rams type situation where they decided they wanted to get within, I don't know. Um, This is, so this is a wild stat. This is the first time that the 49ers have won in consecutive seasons in Seattle ever in the entire history of these two teams playing each other. Now, there's a small caveat there, right? Like they didn't play each other on a yearly basis for a long time because Seattle was in the AFC um and it's really only been gosh has it been 20 years now that the that the they've been playing each other on a regular basis i don't think it's been that long but you know time flies and i'm not really sure um but still a pretty crazy stat they've never won two games in a row in seattle um or two seasons in a row in seattle i should say um that's that's kind of crazy to me um in spite of the fact that they've played each other a lot over the last however long this has been yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of lined up poorly where when the Niners are really good way, way back when, 
I guess, 20 years ago, you know, Seattle wasn't really in the division. And then it's been a lot of bad 49ers play. And the one time the 49ers were really good, Seattle was also really good. So, you know, it's a rather unfortunate wild stat. You'd be, it's kind of surprising that, you know, you haven't been able to get their number in a couple seasons, but, you know, better late than never. And I think the biggest takeaway I have from this entire kind of thing is right now, this doesn't feel like this is going away. This kind of level of domination over Seattle, this feels like something that's going to stick around for a while. Well, here's hoping. Um, it was 2002. The 2002 season was the Seahawks' first uh, season in the in the NFC West. So there you go. Um, so yeah, I was almost right. 21 years now. Um, yeah, I think I think. Uh, especially during that streak with the, with the Legion of boom and all that kind of stuff in Seattle, man, it was not just, they weren't just losing to the Seahawks in Seattle. They were losing badly to the Seahawks in Seattle. Um, and obviously the scuttlebutt moving, uh, you know, coming into this game was the Seahawks Twitter posting something about like, Hey, the last time we played on Thanksgiving, which was the, the game nine years ago at Levi stadium, where they came into Levi's and just absolutely torched the 49ers. And then, you know, ate their turkey on at midfield, um, which seemed based on um, the way that the that the players who were uh, having the the post game <clears throat> meal in Seattle, they while none of those players were on that team, you could tell like they all knew about it, and like that was a conversation that they had had. Uh, like George Kittle made kind of no was was he didn't say it outright, but you could tell that he knew um, about that and that that was this was kind of playing in their brains, kind of heading into the, into the, the game a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think Debo who, and we'll talk more about Debo and how good he is against Seattle had a couple of lines where he was just like, you know, we're eating that, we're eating that like Seattle. Oh, uh-huh. uh, I mean, <laughs> that Seahawks like die on, I mean, they were just like, this means a lot, right? Yeah. I think, for a lot of these players, they did play with Joe Staley, so I think they understand at least a little bit residually kind of the history that some of the 49ers players had had against Seattle. But beyond that, you know, Seattle is the next team, right? They're the guys who went into this year with dark horse division like predictions, which are wild to think about now, as like, we are going to take that next step and challenge San Francisco. You know, the 49ers, as much as you focus on yourself, you hear all the noise, right? So I think going in there, knowing it's a difficult place, it always has been, and just like really showing that we run the division, I think that that meant a lot in a lot of different ways. So I obviously had a great time watching the post game. I don't know about you, Robert. <laughs> yeah, I was enjoying it. I was... Uh... Uh, that was that was a lot of fun, like watching and especially because it started off with like just the players of the game. And then you're starting to see them all kind of come together. And I think there was like, what, six or seven 49ers players there uh, at the by the time the whole thing, the whole interview at the beginning was over. And then, of course, George Kittle being George Kittle, you pick something in China Turkey and just runs off with it. Uh, there was video later about with Diva Samuel and Brock Purdy like chucking their turkey legs into the crowd, which is just like bizarre, but also hilarious behavior. Um, yeah, I mean, it certainly was an exercise, exorcision of of some demons 
with the franchise, I think you're right to say that uh, the the hope is that this is the beginning of we're done we're done coming into Seattle and this being like a place that that we're that we're worried about playing. Um, they seem to handle the things like crowd noise pretty well for the most part. Um, part of that was outplaying them for the majority of the game. That kind of gets the crowd out of it. But yeah, um, I, I, I like it. I think they obviously uh, this is part one of the the bird gauntlet that's coming up over the next four more weeks here with uh, Philadelphia and then Seattle again. And then it's Arizona and then Baltimore, uh, all bird teams, just for those of you who uh, are keeping track at home. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this was... I mean, you could quibble about whether or not this was the most important game, or if it's the the one that's coming up in Philly. But I think it, you could just. I think the easiest thing to say is just the game that's in front of you is the most important game. And I think if Philadelphia is going to continue to sort of stand out in the NFC and and make it difficult for the 49ers to catch them, because uh, uh, as we were talking about before this game, they're now sending a ten and one, which is. Uh, two games in front of the 49ers, eight and three records. So even if San Francisco wins uh, in Philadelphia on Sunday, they're still going to have an uphill battle to climb, which makes the division like even more important. Like you got to make sure that you get it. Um, so I think there's a case to be made that this that beating Seattle here and then beating them again in two weeks is probably <clears throat> maybe the most important thing that they can do at this particular point is make sure that they have the highest possible seed. And the way to do that is to win the NFC West. Yeah, I mean, if we're being, like, realistic here, losing to the Eagles and the Ravens is the least, like, bad. Yeah. Of If you had to, like, set a 3-2 record, that's what you want. Now, that's boring because those are the good teams out of the five-game stretch. But, yeah, I mean, no matter how much you kind of want to discuss how, like, important, we'll talk about this throughout the week on the website and in the podcast as well, just – everything related to this 49ers-Eagles matchup. Winning against Seattle basically guarantees you the division, barring an insane like change near the end. Mm-hmm. This certainly gives you a ton of tiebreakers. So it's a big win. And I think the way in which they won was really the, the icing on the cake. Because it wasn't just that they won. No, no, no. They basically came out and for the first 30 minutes, looked Seattle dead in the eye and said, we're a better team than you. Yeah. Offense, defense, not really special teams, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, they were like, we're a better team than you. And I think there's a level of ownership that kind of comes with that that's super big for this team. Just because the 49ers this year, when they're on, they're on, and I don't. And I don't think they played their A game against Seattle, but they were clearly the better team at almost every position on the field. And you know, Seattle's no slouch either. We've talked a lot about like their records a little deceiving. Maybe they're not as good as their record says. They've definitely been underperforming throughout this year. But to come out and to look that much better than a team, a division rival that has very publicly stated that their goal this year is to get to your level, that's a whole nother level of like domination. And that's not something we've ever really seen the 49ers do against the Seattle team, which makes it all the, all the more sweeter. Yeah. Cause I mean, even if you look at some of the like Harbaugh teams 
even in those years when the Niners were a pretty good team, they still str- they still struggled with the Seahawks, um, which is wild to me. But um, yeah, I mean they're halfway through the NFC West schedule. They got, um, as I mentioned, they'll they'll play um, Seattle again in two weeks, and then Arizona after after the, the uh, Seattle game, and then they close with the Rams game that may or may not mean anything we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it but yeah i mean i think it's really important to to make sure that they get those next two for sure because you put yourself in a position where you're five and zero in the division heading into that that last division game then you're probably in pretty good shape and no one will be able to catch them because of the way that the other teams have beat up on each other uh up to that point as well so all right uh, a couple of news and notes and, and that sort of thing um first of all and this is just this is crazy, and it seemed uh, apparently to surprise a lot of uh, 49ers players. So Christian McCaffrey sets the franchise record for rushing touchdowns in a season with his 11th rushing touchdown of the year. Um, the 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 shock I think uh, amongst the 49ers players was not that McCaffrey set the record, but that the record was actually not all that high. Right, the 10 was the record coming into the season. I think it was shared with six players, including Frank Gore and Ricky Waters and a couple of other players. Um, so I was a little surprised at that too, to come to find out that 10 was the franchise record for rushing touchdowns. Um, but, you know, congrats to Christian McCaffrey, who just basically sets a record. It seems like every time he walks out on the field, um, which is cool to see. Um, were, you, were you surprised at that number being so low? I was, I think, um, I think the only reason I could, I kind of got around it in my brain was just with the knowing that like the overall touchdown record is really high because it's Jerry Rice and just like kind of thinking, well, maybe there are a lot of like quick passes, things like that. Not really a dedicated ground approach like we've seen kind of Shanahan have, but Frank Gore not having had more than 10 in a year is very surprising to me. Again, kind of couched by maybe they just sucked and also passed the ball a lot. But who knows? That's true. Um, yeah, I think there's a. I think it's probably more to the fact that just the team wasn't very good, so they probably were not scoring uh, that many touchdowns. Uh, of course, the um, the hold on a second. Um, I was gonna look up the single the 49ers single season. Touchdown record. What is Rice's numbers? 20, 21 is that? Right? I think 22. 22. 22. In 14 games. Yeah, which is yeah. nuts. Um, so McCaffrey has a 14, I think, total touchdowns this season. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that would. they've got, what, eight games left to go, and he's got to get, hold on, quick math would be six, eight, eight more touchdowns to tie, nine to take the record. Um, it's, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that he can he can get there. Obviously, he's going to have to score at a quite an impressive clip <laughs> throughout the rest of the season. But he's certainly going to get into that that close range. His his record, his personal record is 19 uh, touchdowns in a season. So I think pretty good chance that he'll break that um, but or get, at least get to that number. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes for the rest of the year. Um, obviously, a major part of that. Uh, some bad news from the injury perspective. Um, George Odom, who, <clears throat> excuse me, is the 49ers key special teams player, uh, 
seems uh, he tore his bicep and he's going to have surgery on that, uh, likely out two to four months. The timeline is interesting that two to four months because it might allow him to come back, especially if the Niners get deep into the playoffs. But um, you got to expect if you're at the low end of that, that means he'll miss the rest of the regular season for sure, uh, which means they'll be looking for somebody to replace him. Not good news uh, for a number of reasons. One, because they're already down to they were already down to three safeties anyway, and now they're down to just two on the current roster. Uh, we'll see how that goes uh, and what they decide to do with that, with just um, Jair Brown and and Deshaun Gibson left with Talano Hufanga already on IR with the ACL injury. Um, so not so great. Also, you know, puts a hole in the in a special teams unit that I think up and that has been up and down i think throughout the season they have some things that they certainly do very well um thinking particularly of punt coverage and then some things that they don't do particularly well you know like the kickoff coverage but um not so good news of course uh on that front and hope that uh it'll be more on the two side and less on the four i would say i mean odom is probably going to be a all pro for the second year in a row when it comes to punt coverage. I mean, special teams, he's, he's really, really good. And Sam Womack coming back replaces a little bit of the worry, but I mean, he's a fantastic player at special teams. And as you mentioned, already thinning out the safety room, it's a big loss for sure, especially following Hufanga's injury. But, you know, that's kind of the way it goes. There's always challenges in the season and hopefully they'll be able to handle it. Um, I would anticipate the first move, and we talked about this, I think, last time, would uh, have something to do with Taylor Hawkins, who's been on the practice squad for uh, the last couple of, for about a month or so, after having a pretty good preseason. But you got to think there's a good possibility they're going to go out and grab somebody, too. Uh, just kind of depends on what they want. Like, do they need, because as you say, if it's just a special teams guy, they have a lot of cornerback, like their cornerback depth is really good right now. Um, so they, they can use that to, to that extent. So if you're just looking for somebody to step in as a, as your backup safety and can be like a multiple kind of guy, maybe they need to go find somebody from the outside. So we'll see how that goes. Um, two other bits of news or one other bit of news that's interesting. And then one conversation that I want to have before we get into the, the more the depth here. Um, so I, I think, uh, I don't know if you, you saw and heard this, but, Traverius Ward, um, who had a, I think, really great game, um, was one of the, the players of the game from uh, NBC on Sun on Thursday night, and uh, it's very interesting because one thing that he has not done, had not done at any point throughout this season, was follow uh, the opposition's number one uh, wideout. And apparently, just before the game, um, word was sent down to. From on high, and I on high, I mean from Kyle Shanahan, and possibly even further up the the food chain from uh, to John Lynch, uh, suggested and suggested being <laughs> an interesting choice of words on my part that maybe Ward, the team's best cornerback and highest paid cornerback, should maybe go follow DK Metcalf around, and he did, and I apparently found out just before the game that that was what the the team wanted him to do. He talked about it afterwards and said that wasn't the, the game plan going in, but they made the decision right before the game. And that's what he did. And man was, did he do a job on TK Metcalf? It was basically um, like did nothing the entire evening. Oh man. I mean, that's why you paid him 
so much in free agency a year ago. By the way, just completely unrelated, but <laughs> I know I personally, okay, kind of related. I know I was not a huge fan of the Ward signing because I thought it was the Niners kind of cheaping out a little bit on the high end of the market. Not signing who I thought was a fantastic number one option in JC Jackson. And just looking at it now, what an incredible decision by John mm-hmm. Lynch company, especially with everything Jackson's had going on in LA. But this is why you paid him the money and he did an incredible job. Probably should have gotten a couple interceptions if we're being honest. He's got to work yep. on that a little bit. But it wasn't that he was so good in coverage. He got into Metcalf's head. At some point, like, Metcalf was just felt like he was out of the game, too. And that's as big as anything else. That basically, that if, if he wasn't, like, out of it already, you took him out of it mentally. And, I mean, huge game coming up this week with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. You're going to need Rooney Ward at his best, and that's a great game to work off of. Yeah, in fairness, it's it's not it doesn't it doesn't seem that's all that difficult to get in DK Metcalf's head. I'm just saying <laughs> that guy seems to have a very short fuse as it comes to like you know the mental side of things. Um, I'm not saying that to his face because he's much bigger than me. Uh, but it does seem that the the mental game is an easy one to play with him for sure. Um, all right, one other thing I want to talk about before we get into the 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 nitty gritty of all this. Um, so since Chase Young has arrived in San Francisco, they've played three games um, uh, with with him as a member of the team. I, I think it's pretty safe to say uh, that he has had a pretty major impact on uh, this defensive line. Um, he didn't rack up the stats uh, too terribly much on Thursday, um, but he's been good um, and he's in the, the pressures have been there. But I think really his major the major thing that he's contributed is just people having to, you know, opposition offensive lines and, and and offenses having to pay attention to all four members of that defensive line. And it's opened things up for Nick Bosa, who had a couple of sacks. It's opened things up for Javon Hargrave, who has been like lights out since, since Chase Young has got there. And, you know, same with Eric Armstead, who's been very good since, since Chase Young has arrived. And it's just this, this incredible, like, quartet of, of players. And I think even to a certain, it, it even allows for the, the rotation to be different, right? Because they can, they can, you don't have to worry about, okay, when we go into our second level, it's just going to be Randy Gregory and Cleveland Farrell. And that's going to be it. Like you can rotate having Bosa and Chase Young in different parts of the game. So you always have like a top notch um, elite pass rusher. So my question is, and this is be, this will be something I'm sure that we'll talk about, but, I know the conversation was this is a rental, but it's starting to feel to me like doing so would just to treat this like a rental, like it's over, like the, uh, when the season's over, he's gone, he's walking away. We'll get a con- compensatory pick in 2025. Given what kind of impact that he's had on the rest of the defensive line. I don't know. It just it feels like it would be a little wrong to just treat it that way. And I don't know financially how that works. Um, because obviously they have Brandon Hyatt to pay in the in the off season as well. But man, there's it's, it just feels like it would be real bad just to watch him walk away and have to go back to what the defensive line was in, especially in the middle part of the season where they were just struggling because they didn't have that extra guy. It's a it's a good point, and it's one I do 
agree with, but I think for me, the logic is pretty simple. It's just Brandon Ayuk has to get paid and he has to get paid by the 49ers. He is probably a top 10 receiver in the NFL. And he is legitimately a huge part of what they do on offense. It doesn't seem like he's the focal point, but he allows, he creates so much attention in the passing game. And he's just, his routes are exactly what Shanahan wants and needs. So I think cap like accounting and like all that stuff aside, if you can get Ayuk's contract on the board and still pay Chase Young, I think you go for it. But if the question becomes either we pay Ayuk or we pay Young, I can't see the 49ers choosing Young over Ayuk, and I don't think that would be the right choice. Sure. Of course, it also depends on the draft and all those other things, but I don't know. I think Ufanga's injury, as as morose as this is to say, and obviously you <laughs> never want someone to like, like an injury to be the reason why, like, Oh, part of this discussion, I think that takes him out of basically extension mode. And I think for the 49ers with Jair Brown's play, just how good Gibson has been for another year in a row. If the question doesn't almost become, you let Hufanga go, but if they weren't planning on, if they were planning on paying Hufanga, and now that's a fairly sizable contract that's no longer in the cards, does it become more feasible to put a Chase Young on the books? But then what will Young want? Two monster years, two years that weren't so great. You know, there's his market's going to be all over the place. I think the 49ers can be in it for sure, but I just wonder. I don't think this is like a Nick Bosa. No one is matching. Like, whatever number it is, that's the number we're giving you. They're going to have an upper limit on him for sure. And I feel like you get some team with $100 million in cash space who desperately needs to have a pulse after a terrible year. Someone's going to pay, like, stupid money to get that guy on their defensive line. I don't think the 49ers can afford to be that team. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I think that's just sort of just me you know, thinking out loud. Like, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. I mean, I think the core of this team is, is really set. And the fact that they still have one more year of, of cheap Brock Purdy, which is another conversation to, to that we're going to have to get into eventually um, next year is Ayuk, And the year after that is you know, hopefully all things going, continuing to go well, that'll be the Brock Purdy conversation. And gosh, I'm not really excited about that. Um, Cause can you imagine what that's going to look like? <laughs> If we're having conversations about how good Brock Purdy is right now, um, imagine when it comes time to give him money and based on where the current, uh, <laughs> whoever the highest paid quarterback in the NFL is that at that particular point is, oh gosh, that's just going to be lovely conversations to be had. Um, but we won't, we don't have to get on that for now. All right. So let's, uh, let's really dive into the game. We've been talking for a lot, uh, almost 30 minutes already so 25 <laughs> ish minutes but we'll uh we'll get into it as we off as we always do to talk about things we liked things we didn't things we didn't like uh so actually i'll kick it to you for things that we liked I mean, there's so many things to say but i think just overall i really appreciated a 10 point advantage in time of possession seattle only getting 14 first down going three for 11 on third down 
essentially, I think the 49ers played a perfect game in terms of like the game script. There's some things we'll talk about that were like not great, but for the most part, they controlled the ball, they burnt clock, and they got Seattle off the field when they needed to. And we can point to six sacks by the pass rush and great coverage all around. Only one sack, which was really more like a <clears throat> semi-scramble situation that the 49ers allowed. Running game wasn't super efficient, but it was effective. Well, it was actually pretty efficient, 5.1 yards per carry. That includes, obviously, <laughs> the end of the game. So, you know, just overall, I think the 49ers didn't statistically, other than Christian McCaffrey, have a dominant showing, but they made it work, and that's the most important part. There are obviously things to clean up, but when you have a 10-minute time of possession advantage, nine more first downs than your opponent, and – Call Holden to three of eleven on third down and of one on fourth down. You're gonna win most of your football games. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Yeah, um, I think that's that's all true. I I was trying to think through it, and I was like, is this is this the best defensive performance that we've seen from this team so far this season? Um, I think there's a pretty good case to be made. Um, if you if you factor in, um, they didn't give up the touch. The one touchdown that Seattle scored was a pick six, so the defense didn't give that up. Uh, the first field goal, I think, is arguably a uh, special teams. Uh, you know, you could chalk that up to the special teams uh, giving up a, a short field. And, and the, the defense actually did really well there just to give up the three points instead of giving up a touchdown. And then the second the second field goal came on a, a very a long drive. It kind of looked like Seattle was starting to get into a groove. And then the Niners defense just said, you know, no, we're done. Uh, and they they locked in and they they held him to a field goal and that was the last time that Seattle scored from there because the defense stepped in there um, and then Brandon Ayuk put the put the dagger in you know about halfway through the fourth quarter um, courtesy of Brock Purdy so I, I think there's a pretty good case to be made this is the best defensive performance that we've seen from this team this year um, I, I don't I don't know what what thoughts you have on that well I can stop there and then I'll talk about a couple of other things too. Um. That's a good question. I think it was a it was a really good one. Like, let's not get it twisted. Best Jackson the performance against Jacksonville is really good. Mm-hmm. As they go up there, first time they held a team to no touchdown. Dallas is perform against Dallas just because the Cowboys are a really talented offense, and they just had nothing good. They had the one drive, but other than that, you know. They seem on top of things. It's definitely up there, though. They made Seattle look foolish, which, again, like, love it anytime that happens. <laughs> but, like, the Seahawks look like like middle schoolers playing offense with how the 49ers' defense was on top of things. Yep. 
I think that's I think I think those are those are two good a couple of good shouts there to to add to the list. But I think I'm I certainly agree that the the numbers are are, are up there. And then um other good two other good things. Just want to say Christian McCaffrey. Obviously you already mentioned him. 19 carries, 114 yards, uh, five catches, 25 yards, and the aforementioned uh, two touchdowns that he added to his uh, list for the season that got him over the uh, franchise record. And then, as I noted at the end of last podcast, Debo Samuel doing Debo Samuel things, seven catches, 79 yards, um, four carries, 15 yards, and a touchdown. So uh, not too shabby uh, day at the office. That's, that's I don't think that's the most efficient um, <laughs> the most efficient uh, in terms of yardage game that we'll ever see from Debo. Um, oh, by the way, he was also over one with the passer rating of 39.6. <laughs> oh, that was a great incompletion. Let's yeah, this that was a, like a really smart play by him to just be like, you know what? Nope, this, this isn't going anywhere and I'm not and I'm going to lose yardage. So let me just throw it at somebody's feet. So good idea. I mean, I thought Debo efficiency wise, yeah, you know, Nothing's going to beat playing against the Seahawks in the wild card round and like having a 79 yard touchdown. That'll always make your day look great. But I thought he did exactly what the 49ers needed from him. He was a physical, he was aggressive, he didn't really have any bad drops, and he just provided a different element. And you know, he called it, he said it's going to be a big Debo game. And oh my God, it was a big Debo game. So McCaffrey, there's like, so much that could be said about him and all he does. I think you put it well. He's just like, he's a machine. I mean, we also saw that shot of him getting like... He's, he's literally a machine, apparently. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when those two are going, it's like, so I just, I will say, I just said, I think Brandon Ayuk is a focal point for this offense. That's still true, but Debo and McCaffrey provide like a tone, especially Debo, when he's involved and he gets the ball, there's a different energy about the 49ers. And that energy is the energy of the team that's like, we're going to like run the ball 50 times or pass it and run you over. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. And yep. that's like, that's the energy that the 49ers need as they go into the playoffs. Is we're better than you. We're going to bully you for, for 60 minutes to show you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think I think it's a obviously very case by case basis, um, it, whatever the game plan requires. And I think this Seattle team wants to kind of throw its weight around, and the 49ers have been very insistent, especially over the last two two or two or three seasons, that they're like, no, like you can't run us over, like you you are not gonna out bully us, like we are the we are the the team to beat in this division, we're the bullies of this division, and. That's just kind of the way it goes, and so I think a player like Debo Samuel can set that that tone. He's not like a finesse guy, so <laughs> which you know, obviously. Uh, but if you need a little bit more finesse, then you got players like like McCaffrey who can provide a little bit of the 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 sort of mean streak as well. And then Ayuk, who's definitely more of a a, a finesse like um, precise route runner and all that kind of stuff. And so he can provide the things that he provides, and that even came out in this game too, because that touchdown that he scored was uh, uh, as much about his ability to, to create separation, which is something we've talked about over and over and over again, um, as it is Brock Purdy throwing him another dot as he called it. 
Um, not quite as long this time, but still uh, just as important, I think. Um, all right. Any any other th- good things that we like about this one? I mean, we could keep the line going. Ayuk, fantastic. Looney Ward, incredible. Ambry Thomas, another interception. Fred Warner, another all-around great game. Jair Brown didn't look lost in coverage. Jake Moody kicked a couple field goals and extra points. Yeah, it's all all good. There's it's <laughs> all good except for like the one or two things that weren't so good, which we'll talk about right now. Yeah, yeah. I think the the one kind of final thing that I'll say is the the sacks they had six of them. You noted that's good. It's great to have the numbers, but the 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 funniest part about them is most of them it was impossible to tell like who was responsible for it because there's three four five guys in the backfield as Geno Smith is falling um <laughs> the only one that was like very clear and obvious was the Deshaun Gibson one and he probably did the least amount of work for <laughs> that sack um as the uh, the Seahawks running back tripped his quarterback which was not very nice um but yeah you, you like to see that that's a, a, the swarming mentality of the defense it's like okay this is a passing situation everybody get together at the quarterback all four or five or six of us however many are going after him and they all got there like at the same time on repeatedly and it's so you you and you can see that in the sack numbers there's a lot of half sack numbers in there um and that's that's really good to see all right um okay so it wasn't all great obviously um so what do we what do, what did we not like about this one Oh, actually, before we get that, one more good thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Only three penalties for 20 yards. We talked about penalties being an issue, but not this game. Maybe, and I mean, I think the officiating was not great, but it was not great both ways. So, like, both those numbers could probably be bumped up a little, the three penalties and the five on Seattle. But overall, I don't think you're, at least I'm not complaining too much about the way they officiated the game. But if we have to talk about negatives, I just think the 49ers did not finish this game. They put up 31 points, right? And they never really were in trouble. But the Seattle, a couple turnovers, their first interception, the 49ers are unable to score. Then, you know, Seattle's offense continues to be inept and the 49ers can't get anything going. And then, in fact, Seattle punts the ball away, and the 49ers throw a pick six. And it just, again, we say this all the time, this team hasn't found that final edge to completely end in game, which is insane to say because it feels like, yes, they have. Like, you can look at every box score and be like, but these get, like, none of this is, these aren't close at all. So obviously they figured something out, but you know, not to talk about something we're going to talk about way more in the weeks to come, but the Philadelphia Eagles have won four straight games trailing at halftime. And it's all about teams just not taking advantage of their opportunities to put a team away. The 49ers have struggled at times with that. And that's kind of, that's the biggest issue I had going away from Seattle. There was just a couple execution issues that didn't allow them to, really put the Seahawks just completely out of sight. They're not going to be an issue anymore. And, you know, part of this is a division game. Seattle's not a bad team. But for the level of team the 49ers are, I think this box score is almost a little too forgiving 
for how well they played in that first half. And it really felt like they were more holding on in the second half than kind of winning the second half. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think a more or less the same thing, uh, you know, very similar to, to last week, we had that conversation about how it felt, felt like they scored the George Kittle touchdown and the offense was like, all right, well, we're done for the day. Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, and, it wasn't quite that extent, but they, they jumped out to such a big lead in this game that there, there was a sense of like, okay, we're, we're, we're so far ahead in this game, uh, that we don't have to worry about, about anything. Right. (laughs) It was just like, we're, we're, we're good. Like we got this, there's, there's no way this can go South. And then of course, you know, you're up by a a big margin at halftime and you're feeling pretty good. You know, it's 24 to three. You're like, eh, no big deal. Um, I think in in hindsight, you look at it and you go, okay, yeah. I mean, it wasn't really ever that stressful. Um, I, I got a little nervous <laughs> on the pick six because it brought it within uh, within two scores. Because you're like, okay, well now it's 24 to 10, and now we're now we're if if Seattle can find anything on offense, and and the and the 49ers offense continues to kind of scuffle the way that it has at times in the second halves of games lately, then you're going to be like, okay, well this this is worrisome. Um, now they managed to pull it out. I think they, I think they did better in this second half than they did in, you know, against, <clears throat> uh, against Tampa, uh, in on on Sunday where they just kind of like, eh, okay, well the game's over, no big deal, and Tampa kind of, you know, put their foot on the on the pedal a little bit. But yeah, I think generally the if there if there's a complaint to be made about this team, it's whether or not. Well, there's two things. One, can they do the thing that that Philadelphia has been doing, where if they get down by a, a score or two at halftime, are they going to be able to come back? First of all, second of all, do they have that mentality to just kind of keep like they did this to Dallas and they haven't really done this to anybody else where they just keep scoring. Um, and they're just like, okay, well until you stop us, we are not going to stop scoring. Like we're not. And, and they need to find whatever that was that was happening to them <laughs> against Dallas uh, from an offensive perspective. They can't just be like, all right, well, the number that we need to obtain is 30 points. And if we hit 30 points, then we're probably good. Cause you know, on some level they're, they're probably right. Right. Like if they, with the, with the way the defense is playing and they're, they're only giving up 17 points a game. If they score 30 points a game on offense, they're probably in real good shape, probably going to win most games, but you also have to be able to just be like, continue to, to take the points if they're, if they're there. Um, and so that will be something to, to watch out for, especially against, like Philadelphia and against Baltimore, um, which are really the two main like teams to watch out for on the remaining schedule. Cause if you look at it from there, other than that, it's Seattle, Arizona, the commanders and the Rams. So it's really Philly and Baltimore. Those are the two teams that are going to show you a lot about what kind of team you are. Um, and like you said earlier, would it be like completely embarrassing to lose to both those teams and, and, you know, you, you end up losing five games in the season. No, but it also would give you some kind of indication that maybe you're not up in that upper echelon. And that's would be concerning heading into the playoffs for sure. I mean, absolutely. I think that Dallas game is such a perfect example because the only reason the 49ers stopped scoring is because they pulled the starters after the third quarter. Right. Which, like, you know, it's a little far away now, so we don't really have to, we don't think about it as much, but they did that to 
argue to like the third best team in the NFC, which is insane to like say out loud and think about that. That is the level this team can reach against Jacksonville. You know, they had a big lead, but the starters were out there up until like nearly like the end of the fourth quarter because they weren't able to keep it going and keep it going. And if we look at, if we look at like games where we could say, okay, this is where like having that killer mentality mattered. It's the Minnesota game. The 49ers were like, go, go, go in the Minnesota game. They win that game. I think the Cleveland game, you know, Cleveland was so good on defense and the 49ers had no answers that game. That's one of those, you kind of, you want it back. You like Moody makes that kick. It's a completely different energy, but it is what it is. But Minnesota's the game where it really felt like the 49ers let the foot off the gas and just were never ready for it afterwards. And then Cincinnati, they just kind of, they got beat. They just got beat, yeah. which happens, you know. Yeah. No one's expecting them to be perfect, but this can really cost them. I mean, regular season for sure. If we get to the playoffs and this is still an issue, I mean, this could be the difference. I don't want to like bring up 2019, but that we've seen this be the difference between winning the Super Bowl and not. So they have it in them. Yeah, I think they they and we we've talked about this over and over again, right? Like even at the beginning of the season, we were like, okay, well, but they're still leaving they're leaving points out on the table. Like, have they played an A game? I I mean, if we look through the schedule, I mean, is it? I think it's pretty safe to say that that Dallas, the Dallas game, might be the only game that even approaches like their best game, um, like as an overall team, like all all you know systems go all three phases are are working in tandem and even then i think we talked about at the time that they probably could have scored more than 42 points um which is maybe just greedy but <laughs> but there is some sense of like if this team like hit on every single thing and now that's obviously that's asking a lot but if they hit every time like they had like every time they they get a turnover from their defense if they scored a touchdown um, if every time they got into the red zone, they scored a touchdown instead of settling for field goals, you know, if there wasn't this sort of, it seems like pretty regular m- mid third quarter, like sputtering thing that the offense does, um, just like this team has the capability of being the best team in the NFL if they t- decided not to do those things, but they haven't done it yet, which can be a little bit like, concerning on one of one level because you're like we haven't seen it so we kind of have to wonder is it there or the opposite way of looking at that if we want to be optimistic is they haven't done it yet which means they still could which means maybe they're like maybe those those games will come out in the playoffs and they'll just go tear up the nfc and then win the super bowl and everybody will be like okay well who cares what they did during the regular season everything's fine i mean that's the hope i guess (laughs) not to talk about I guess a little prelude into what the week is going to look like, right? The 49ers are 8-3, and and their eight victories have been blowouts. Even the Rams game, where they got that last-second field goal, the Niners are far and away the better team. There's three losses, with the exception of the Bengals game. Again, a game they just got beaten. I've been particularly, I've been really close. On the other hand, Philly, the team that's like the number one seed, and 
per record, the best team in the NFL, has played basically only close games. And they <laughs> have an absurd record in one-score games. And the thing is, right, those wins count. That doesn't diminish the type of team that Philly is. And we'll talk about all the ways in which they're good and the, how the game might go out as we get into the preview. But I bring it up because the 49ers, and this is paraphrasing something I saw from Dave Lombardi, are when they win, they win at a level that's unfathomable at the NFL level. Like, they don't win. They make a mockery out of other NFL teams. And the reason why like, that's important is because this team is that good. Right, there's nothing fluky about their victories. The question is just is this one of those things where either it all has to go right and if it doesn't they lose or is it one of those things where this is just like them firing on most cylinders and they're just that consistent. And I think the reason why we want to see them put 100% effort and really get into a game and just be like this is it. We don't care. Like where's like you cannot stop us is because that kind of legitimizes what we've been seeing throughout the season of a team that can just destroy any team in the NFL. No matter how good you are, there is a chance if you play the 49ers, you will walk out of there embarrassed. And that there's only like a couple teams in the NFL that you can say have that potential. The 49ers to do it time and time again kind of shows you the ceiling of this team. But that consistency kind of makes the floor, right? The fact that they've been so inconsistent and won this much, in one way, and this is a parallel conversation to kind of everything with Philadelphia, in one way, like you said, you look at it and you go, okay, so, you know, they're really, really good. And that means when everything comes together, they're going to, like, dominate. The other thing is that maybe they're just not a consistent team And that gets you worried because something goes wrong in January. You don't get a next week to figure things out. Every game, you have to be perfect every game in the playoffs. And I think, you know, with this latest three-game winning streak, we can reshift the conversation back to this team using the regular season to get the best seat it can and be as prepared as it can be to play in the playoffs. because. This 49ers run will be, it's tough to say this, but it's true. It'll be ultimately meaningless if they can't win an NFC championship game or a Super Bowl. And in order to get over that hump, this year is all about what is it do we need to get that final step? And it seems like consistency is that final step. And, you know, they're going to have a great opportunity against Philadelphia to kind of showcase it. Then they'll have a division game at home against Seattle to really, really show that in two weeks after playing Seattle, that, you know, they can put a 60-minute effort that just stifles a team. Because if we see that, I think it's way easier to go into the playoffs thinking the 49ers are the team to beat. But right now, they might be, they might not be. But you can't be certain that you're going to get the San Francisco team that wins by like 17 points, or you're going to get the team that seems to find a way to lose a football game. Yeah, I I think that's, that's all really well said. And I think it's, 
certainly the the thing that's got to be lingering on on the minds of, of 49ers fans, especially as we head into the Philadelphia game. Um, I, I, I think you got to feel pretty confident outside of Philadelphia and outside of Baltimore. The, the 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 rest of those games, you know, Seattle, Arizona, um, Washington, um, the Rams again. I, I think you got to feel pretty good about those being games that should continue to be the the what we've expected is the the highest level that this team has as at its disposal. So, and they've got to do that. Like that's really important to make sure that they get those those games, those five games or whatever, have to be games where they just continue to assert their dominance. And so I think the, the the and we've said this and we'll we'll talk about this when we get <laughs> into the preview for Philadelphia and then when we talk about Baltimore as well later in the year, um, those two games are going to be really important to be able to say, okay, well we maybe we're not going to be able to dominate this team, but we can still win the game. And if that's that's the thing we have yet to see, is can they do that? And if they can do that, then gosh, you're going to feel a lot better <laughs> about it. Um, as the, the playoffs get started in, uh, in January. So, um, actually, any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? I mean, it's been so long since the game. I feel like we got away a little bit from the fact that the 49ers just essentially like mollywopped their division <laughs> rivals. I mean, they, that was not close. And I mean, that's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. There's nothing else to say. It's been a long time since you could clearly say that the 49ers are better than Seattle, that this Lumen Field isn't like a nightmare place to play. It's, it's, it's bask in that and get excited for really good football this Sunday. We'll, we'll be covering it all on Niner Noise. I mean, it's, this is exactly – this is what the Niners wanted. This is what the Eagles wanted when you got into the season, this type of game. And here it is. And both teams are playing as well as can be. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be nice and, and friendly the entire week for sure. No problems at all. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, ain't the city, city of brotherly love for nothing, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks, as always, for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. As always, check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.